We'll start today with a little thought experiment, and there'll be a, a test afterwards, so you got to listen. Imagine this next Saturday night that some guy drives over to Westport and finds a rowdy bar, a place where the people are into the kind of things that St. Paul's writing about in today's epistle, works the flesh, drunkenness, immodesty, fornication, parting, and so forth. So anyway, this guy's at a rowdy bar in Westport, and he wades in and climbs right up on top of the bar in order to make sure everybody hears him clearly. He pulls out a bullhorn and says, All right, all you party animals, listen up. Anyone here that's thinking about getting drunk, being immodest, fornicating, or anything of the sort, I'd like to draw y'all's attention to the fact that anybody that does those kind of things is going to end up in hell if he doesn't knock it off and repent. So that's the thought experiment. Here's the test. What's most likely going to happen? There's, there's two choices. A, they'll turn off the music, toss out their drugs and contraceptives and pour out their drinks and say, oh my gosh, you're right, what was I thinking? How could I have been so stupid? Thank you so much. You've saved my life. And they hurry home and repent and change their ways. Or B, they don't pour out their drinks. They don't throw out their drugs. They don't throw out their contraceptives. And they start mocking him, maybe even yelling at him, throwing things at him, or maybe even just pull him off the bar and whip him for good measure. Which is it going to be? A, they repent, change their ways and do penance, or B, throw a fit and maybe clobber him. Everybody knows it's B. It's a no-brainer. But that reality, the reality that people that are into the works of the flesh don't like being told to knock it off at all, you spend five minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour outside an abortion mill, not only do they not like being told to knock it off, they'll tell you to do a lot of different things. The reality that the people who are into the works of the flesh don't like being asked to repent is a reminder, it should be a reminder to us of how really amazing it is that our ancestors converted from paganism. We shouldn't take that for granted. It's really worth a lot of thought. It's really worth pottering. What exactly converted our ancestors? What convinced them to set aside the works of the flesh and to take up our religion? Which there's nothing convenient about our religion except that it's true. But it makes heroic demands on every one of us, you and I, anybody that's serious about it. It makes serious, serious demands. Why? Did our ancestors give up paganism? Well, we'll get some hint of an idea by considering the story of a saint that's mentioned in the Roman Martyrology on the 13th day of January. The Roman Martyrology is a liturgical book that those of us that say the office uh, read during prime every day. It's kind of like a calendar with the martyrs and saints for each day of the year. Quote, in Sardinia, St. Potitus martyr who suffered much under the emperor Antoninus and the governor Gelasius and at last obtained martyrdom by the sword. Close quote. That doesn't tell us much, but there's an amazing series of events associated with his martyrdom. To learn about those, we have to rely on, a, on the acts of his martyrdom. Today we'll look at a translation of his acts. Well, what are the acts of a martyrdom? Well, sometimes they're the official records of the trial and execution of a martyr, and sometimes they're an account of his life and death, which is written by an eyewitness or contemporary. Now, some acts, their authenticity is doubtful. And, of course, in our day and age, it's very fashionable to deny miraculous works. But in the case of St. Potitus, his acts 
have been reviewed by a group called the Bondists, which were scholars working for the past several hundreds of years that specify, specialize in verifying authenticity of ancient church documents and stories of the saints. The source we'll use also contains a letter of approval from Blessed Pius IX. So let's turn to the story. Ananias Pius was the Roman emperor for 23 years. He ruled in the years between Hadrian and Marcus Aurelius from the year 138 to 161 AD. His only daughter, a young girl named Agnes, had a problem. She had a serious problem. None of the imperial physicians could help poor little Agnes. The emperor, the emperor offered sacrifice after sacrifice to his false gods, and none of that helped Agnes either. She had a serious problem. She'd be perfectly calm, and all of a sudden she'd throw a fit, a terrible fit. Her screams and howls would fill the whole imperial palace. At one time, when she was eating, all of a sudden she floated up into the air. And then she dropped so suddenly, slammed on the floor so hard, it seemed like all her bones would be broken. See, she had a terrible problem. Agnes was possessed. And sometimes the devil that possessed her would take over her voice and laugh and mock and <laughs> you know, at the emperor and so forth. But one day, by the grace of God, the devil told the emperor, through Agnes, that the only way he would leave is a young man named Potitus. He's the only one. Potitus was the only one that had the power to make him leave. And the devil even told the emperor where Potitus could be found at that particular moment. Sananinus immediately sent 50 soldiers out to find Potitus and bring him back to Rome. He wasn't sure to expect. So far, no one had had any success in relieving his daughter. A few weeks later, the troops brought Potitus in before the emperor. Ananias hadn't been sure what to expect, but he sure hadn't expected this bright-faced 13 or 14-year-old boy that was standing in front of him. Astonished, the emperor asked, Who and what are you? And Potitus answered, I'm a Christian. The answer caught the emperor off guard. What? A Christian? Can you cure my child? If you can, I'll make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Why don't your gods cure? asked Potitus. How dare you speak so sarcastically to me, the emperor, responded the emperor. If I cure your daughter, will you believe in the God that I believe in? After hesitating for a few moments, the emperor replied, I will. But at that moment, God gave St. Potitus the grace to read the emperor's heart. And he saw that Ananias was lying. So in the presence of all those soldiers, this 13 or 14-year-old boy rebuked the most powerful man in the world, right there in the imperial court, surrounded by soldiers, right to the emperor's face. You false emperor, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your heart is hardened and unconverted. But in order that all these who are standing around might believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, I will free your daughter from the spirit that torments her. So Agnes was brought in. Her eyes are all wild and bloodshed. She was wasted away to the very bones to the point where she needed help to walk. But now she was struggling so violently that the attendants could seriously drag her, screaming, into the presence of Potitus. Potitus commanded the evil spirit to be silent. 
Then he prayed silently for a moment and said out loud, Unclean spirit, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to leave this creature of God. The demon answered, If you drive me out, I'll persecute you to death. So Petita stepped forward and blew on the girl. Now why would he blow on Agnes? Well, if you paid attention, in the beginning of the baptism ceremony, there's the exorcisms. That's when the priest is wearing the purple stole. He's doing exorcism to remove the child from the power of Satan. And then when he turns over the stole to white, that's when the grace is going to come in because then he's going to be baptized and anointed and whatnot. But during the exorcisms, there's a point where the priest blows three times in the child's face and says, it's in Latin because we don't have an ecumenical dialogue with the devil, depart from an evil spirit. Okay, there's a little bit more to it. But that's what we're doing. Why the blowing in the face? Because the breath of a saint or even a priest torments and burns certain kinds of demons. Tertullian, who wrote in the late 100s and early 200s, says that this practice of blowing to drive out demons or to torment them comes from the very earliest days. And he's writing in very early days. Father Gabriel Morse, who is the most experienced exorcist in the world, he's the chief exorcist in Rome, says that exorcists still use this technique to torment devils. So anyway, Potita steps forward and blew on Agnes. And immediately she's thrown onto the floor. The whole palace shakes. The room fills with this horrible stink of brimstone. And everybody sees a horrendous dragon-like creature fly out the window. Agnes laid there on the floor like she was dead. So Petitus reaches down and grabs her hand and pulls her to her feet. As he does that, it's obvious she's completely cured. The color comes back to her face and skin. The twinkle comes back to her eyes and her voice returns to normal. The emperor's overjoyed. And after hugging his daughter, making sure she's really recovered, Ananias shouted, This boy is a great magician. I thank the gods for having cured my daughter. This ticks Potitus off a little bit, and he rebukes the emperor. Woe to you, you foolish prince. You have seen the wonders of God, yet you will not believe. It was not your gods that cured your daughter, but my Lord Jesus Christ. The emperor stung by the rebuke answers don't you realize who I am I'm the emperor I can force you to sacrifice or have you tortured or throw you to the wild beasts I don't fear you or your threats Ananinus you're preparing for yourself a terrible hell where you will burn with your father the devil who has hardened your heart at this the emperor ordered that this young man who had just cured his daughter be viciously flogged. After a while, he stopped the beating and asked Potitus to sacrifice to the gods. So Potitus answers, well, let's see what kind of gods they are that we may sacrifice to them. So this answer fills the emperor with glee, and they lead Potitus to the temple of Apollo. When they arrive at the temple, Potitus walks right up to the foot of the statue and kneels down starts praying silently and with moments this huge statue starts toppling falls over when it hits the floor it just shatters and pulverizes into almost dust like sized particles Ananias shouts in anger you've deceived me boy by your magic you've overthrown the god Potitus asks quietly if it was a god why couldn't he defend himself 
Ananias had Petitus clapped into prison and sent criers throughout the city to announce that on the next day he'd be exposed to the wild animals in the Colosseum. That night, Agnes was severely rebuked when she asked her father if she could worship the God of the Christians who had saved her from the demon and crumbled the statue of Apollo. Backstate that the next day the Colosseum was filled with people. Ancient writers tell us the Colosseum had a capacity of somewhere in the range of 50 to 70,000 people. So there's a lot of people present. The emperor's daughter Agnes and the tenants sat in the imperial box. Potitus was led into the arena and brought before the emperor who ordered him to be tortured. So he stretched out on the rack and while he stretched out they take burning torches and they start applying them to his sides. But the whole while, the Almighty God protected Potitus from feeling any pain. In fact, he seemed positively joyful. So after a while, the emperor ordered that the torture be stopped, then asked Potitus to make a choice. Would he choose to sacrifice to the gods, or would he choose to be killed? Potitus refused to sacrifice to the gods and knelt down. So Ananias ordered the wild beast to be released. These starving lions come pouncing out into the arena and come bounding right up to Potitus and stop and lick his feet and then lay down in a circle around him. The whole crowd got very quiet. These people were even more astonished than they had been by his joy during the torture. For a matter of minutes, they were in stunned silence till finally they broke out in applause. Now this is 50 to 70,000 pagans applauding a Christian not being eaten by a lion. When the crowds clogged down, Potitus got up and walked towards the emperor, and all these lions start padding along behind him. He starts petting one on the head, and then he turns to the emperor with a smile and says, Now where are your threats? Don't you see that there's a God who can deliver me from your hands? That God is Jesus, whom I serve. Ananias is furious and commanded the gladiators come out and slay this insolent youth. After the wild animals were removed from the arena, four gladiators came out and surrounded Potitus, who stood there calmly with a peaceful smile as they tried to strike him with their swords. No matter how they tried, all their blows landed in thin air. He didn't move. They just couldn't hit him. God had sent an angel down to deflect the blows. They actually kept stinging and swinging and stabbing and trying to strike him till they got so tired they couldn't swing their swords anymore. And that whole time, they never landed a single blow. They wound up leaving the arena to the hoots and yells of the people. Naturally, the emperor's madder than ever, and he commanded a new instrument of torture be brought out. It's a pincher with great big spikes, meant to kill somebody by putting on the head and slowly tighten until the spikes meet in the middle. Potitus didn't resist at all. So this great hush fell over the crowd. And as soon as it was on his head, they heard him pray out loud that the Almighty God would remove these pinchers from him and place them on the head of the emperor. The very instant he finished his prayer, an invisible hand took the pinchers off the head of St. Potitus. They flew through midair and landed on the head of the emperor. This filled the Colosseum with laughter and astonished cries. When the people quieted down again, they could hear the moans of the emperor. Ananias was writhing and moaning in agony, but try as he might, the senators and his attendants couldn't remove the pinchers. In his agony, he cried out, Save me, young man, save me. Potitus asked, Why don't your gods free you? Is my Lord Jesus Christ 
freed me. Have mercy on me, young man, I'm dying. The senators and attendants and even little Agnes begged Potitus to have mercy on the emperor. Potitus answered, I will, if he will permit Agnes to become a Christian. The emperor agreed. Agnes came rushing down and knelt before Potitus. Evidently, sometime in this whole process, Agnes must have, must have miraculously received infused knowledge of the true faith because Potitus only had to talk to her for a very brief time before he was convinced of her knowledge of our faith. He called for water, and then before this giant crowd of pagans, he baptized her. The very moment that the water ran over her forehead, the pinchers came offhand in his head were violently thrown into the arena, stained with his blood. The boy turned towards a dazed and confused emperor and said, Ananinus, emperor of the great Roman people, listen to me, a servant of Jesus Christ. I have conquered you, but I will not lose my crown. That crown can only come to me by the sword and in the place I shall point out. The mercy of God has today called this child to the knowledge and light of the true faith. Woe to you if you interfere with her in any way. She will be taken from you at that moment. Call the guards. I long to be united to my Lord Jesus Christ. Stamper ordered that the sentence be carried out as Potitus wished. As the guards came, Potitus turned to Agnes and said, Goodbye. Be faithful to the graces you have received today. And he was let out of the Colosseum. And as the martyrology tells us, he obtained martyrdom by the sword in Sardinia, which is where in the 11th century his relics were discovered and buried along with them were the pinchers. What happened to Agnes? We're told that the emperor was afraid to interfere with her. He treated her with awe and veneration. And although she didn't win the martyr's crown herself, in spite of the fact that she was surrounded by the moral filth and degradation of the imperial Roman pagan court, she passed her few remaining years in unstained holiness. And Acts also tell us that about 2,000 people were converted that day. And keep in mind that for a common man, that's a capital offense. He had 2,000 converted. So what exactly convinced our pagan ancestors from nations like the Romans to drop the works of the flesh and convert to a religion as demanding as the true faith, the miracles and faithful witnesses of the saints and martyrs, martyrs like St. Potitus. <laughs>